everybody and welcome to the F2 show by Inside F2. Joining myself, Fraser Ford, we have Inside F2's Emily Sands and Lawrence Griffin this week. And Emily, uh, welcome back. Thanks for coming on another episode despite Jack Doohan not uh, claiming many points this weekend. Uh, but uh, yeah, in all seriousness, uh, another chaotic weekend, six safety cars, uh, a lot of action and some classic Formula 2 racing. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... Um... I think it was safe to say Zandvoort was quite, you know, full on, but I feel like Monza was just as full on as Zandvoort. But it was a great weekend and definitely provided some entertainment. Definitely. I think I'm right by saying that six safety cars. I'm sure someone in the comments will let me know if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, an awful lot of action, Lawrence. And uh, yeah, Formula 2 as entertaining as ever. It was, uh, yeah, Formula 2 at its best, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you say six safety cars. If you told me it was eight or nine, I would have quite easily believed you, to be honest. It was... It was chaotic. It got a little bit fragmented towards the end of the feature race. I think we would have liked to have a few more periods of of racing. There was a lot of incidents out there, but it happens so easily. Restart leads to instant leads to restart and you can get stuck in that cycle. But in between all of that, some wonderful racing, some wonderful overtaking moves, which we always get at Monza, one of my favourite circuits. So yeah, a great weekend, absolutely. Um, just a reminder to anyone watching on YouTube, you can listen to the full podcast and any other exclusive content that we provide on our Spotify channel. You can find the link to that in the comments below so, or just search for Inside F2. Okay, let's start with our feature race winner, Ollie Behrman. Uh, Ferrari Junior wins in front of the Tafosi. Prima win their home race. And yeah, just an incredible weekend all round for Prima and Ollie Behrman, wasn't it, Emily? Oh, it was. I think, yeah, for them to win at Monza as well was extra special for them. And I think Ollie had a really good weekend. He did very well in qualifying, qualifying second, obviously, set him up good enough for the sprint race uh, for the feature race and he did well in the sprint race as well i think he came p6 in the sprint race um but yeah i think the safety cars and the tires and the way it might not have planned out well for other drivers but um, for ollie i think it was it was a good situation for him and yeah he he was he just performed brilliantly all weekend yeah absolutely was that his most mature drive in formula 2 lawrence in your opinion yeah, I, I think so. Um, as soon as he took the lead of the race on the first lap, he, he looked really comfortable. I mean, we've we've seen before from him, he has such speed and such overtaking ability and he's so aggressive and he's so great to watch. It doesn't always play out well. And we've seen a few times when it does go a bit wrong, he can end up dropping further back down the field. It looks like his head drops at times and he doesn't always deliver the result that the raw pace he has you know, really promises. But Monza was totally different. He had that pace. You could see it every time there was a safety car restart. He opened up a gap on Teopo Chair, um, who had looked really racy in the sprint race. That ART was working brilliantly in the hands of Poor Chair and Martins all weekend. So for him to be able to just pull that gap and to nail every safety car restart as well as he did was was brilliant. He found that winning formula nail it through the parabolica and you know make sure the other cars behind have the dirty air and it just works from every time he looked totally in command you know th throughout the entire race and that is something which is very hard to do in a series which is so competitive so yeah he should be really proud of that performance a very mature performance in the sort of the sort of um the sort of racing that will really impress you know the the team bosses at, at ferrari who are going to be looking ahead and wondering you know in two three years time maybe even sooner could he end up being an f1 driver 
Out of all of the drivers in Formula 2 right now, Emily, would you say that Oli Berman is one of the most likely to make it in form- to Formula 1? Is that is that fair to say, given you know it is his rookie season, uh, his performances this season have been uh, brilliant, as Lawrence says, his, his pace is clearly there. Uh, would you say that's a, a fair comment to make? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the fact that he's a rookie this year in Formula 2 and he's already got four wins under his belt. You know, there's people that are more experienced and have been in F2 for longer that haven't even, you know, got that first win yet or leaning onto the second win. So I think I think for him as well, I want to point out Martins because he's really impressed me this season as well. And I think the pair of them, both being rookies, have done really well. But I think Oli does have that slight more consistency over Victor. Um, and, you know, there's talks about signs possibly moving on to Audi and F1 in the future. And so we know that that Ferrari seat is going to open up. So maybe, yeah, there could be a potential opening for him there. Um, and I think everyone should keep an eye on him. And like Lawrence was saying, you know, this is this weekend specifically being at home as well for Ferrari. They're really going to be looking on at that drive, thinking that he did a great job. And too right, he did. And I think like Lawrence said as well, I feel like I'm just repeating everything he said, but he should be really proud of what he did this weekend. Um, he was consistent. He didn't make any mistakes. He was confident on the break-in. His overtakes were amazing. The safety car played right into his hands at every single opportunity he had in, in the feature race. So yeah, I, I think definitely they should be looking at him and considering him for the future. Yeah, great weekend for Oli Behrman and um, yeah, highlighting his potential again, as you say. Uh, his fourth win of his rookie season, as you've already said, Emily, and the ninth win of the season for Prema. A great season for them so far. Speaking of Prema, we launched a competition recently to win a Prema signed driver card uh, in our round 11 review. Uh, congratulations to our winners who are on the screen right now for anyone watching the podcast rather than listening to it. Uh, we'll be getting in touch with you guys very soon to uh yeah to pass those driver cards over okay teo porsche p4 in the sprint race uh, and p3 in the feature race um yeah a bit of a it was, it was a bit of a dramatic weekend for teo porsche there was a lot going on lawrence wasn't there do you think he'll reflect on that weekend to be quite happy with his performance particularly given how he's leaving uh, the weekend in terms of the championship yeah definitely i mean fourth and, and third you know that's the sort of performance where you know at the start of the season we say if you're if you're roughly in the top five every race you'll probably win and that is really sort of typical of of his season you know we've just talked about Behrman four race wins well Porches only had one back in Bahrain only one race win all season which is just shocking given that he is the championship leader but what that shows you is how many times i think it's eight or nine times he's he's finished on the podium i think four times he's been second this year and that shows his consistency and this was another weekend that was just like that he was fast you know he was he was on pole position it didn't go perfectly for him in the race in terms of his his race pace but he kept it clean he stayed out of trouble he got the points that he needed to capitalise on a very bad weekend for his title rival, Fred Vesti. And, you know, when it is time for him to be aggressive and move up the order, we saw how good he is at that as uh, as well during the sprint race, moving up to, to fourth. So another really strong weekend from him and the way in which it sets him up now for the final round in terms of the, the championship picture, he'll be he'll be delighted with with his performance in Monza, I'm sure. 
Yeah, Alex Jakes was saying it in commentary, wouldn't he? That he's had a Esteban Ocon type uh, championship season whereby he wins the season opener. And then ever since then, he's just been so consistent, hasn't he? He's podium after podium, you know, points finish after points finish. Uh, maybe not. Uh, we, I, don't, I actually don't think we're seeing the. Um, the, the the outright pace that Teo Porsche has. I think he's been a bit more conservative with the way he's been driving uh, to collect those points and to get those podiums. Um, and, you know, he sacrifices uh, his risk-taking and his pure speed uh, in order to do that. And therefore, we haven't seen as many wins as perhaps we could have done with Teo Porsche. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be very happy. Emily, is, is he is he got one hand on the trophy going on to the final round? 24-point lead, is that is that fair to say? I think yes. I want to say yes. I think I think he has a very good chance of winning the championship. However, I say that with some sort of hesitation because this is F2 and we say every single week that things just change dramatically in a split second. Um, but I want to say that yes, he does have that championship probably. But like I said, I don't want to I don't want to jinx it too much. But I think this weekend was like we were just saying, a chance for him to be consistent. And I have that in capital letters, Mr. Consistent in my notes, because he has been through the whole championship. And also, I think a lot of the other drivers knew that he wasn't going to take any daring risks. He wasn't going to put himself in any position that could have potentially ended up in a collision or him dropping down the order even further, because all of the other drivers know that Vesti was out by that point. So this is all on Teo and he needed to have, you know, straight vision, I need to get to the end. If I can get on the podium, then obviously that's the best amount of points that I can get. But I don't think he was, you know, as daring this weekend, especially in the feature race. I think he was happy with P3. Um, like I said, he's got those points now that Vesti unfortunately couldn't get. Um, and everyone else knew that, you know, that that's what he needed to get as well. So I, I don't think, apart from that little spat in the middle where he was kind of back and forth with doing and they kind of got investigated for a second but then it was you know it was all resolved as to no penalty that needed to be given out but yeah I think as long as he you know uses this next four weeks to collect himself focus on Abu Dhabi just keep that tunnel vision on the championship and not let himself you know make silly mistakes um if he qualifies good and gets a good result in the feature race then yeah I'm, I'm sure he can he can do it. Mm. It's, it's 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 looking difficult now for for Vesti, isn't it? I mean, it's, I don't think it's it's at the point now where it's not entirely in his in his hands. You know, if, if he if he rocks up in Abu Dhabi, nails it, puts it on pole, and pushes qualify qualifies ninth, mm. and then wins a sprint race, then championship over, and Vesti's done absolutely no wrong. So it's a it's it's a really tricky position for him to be in, but. I suppose it's freeing mentally as well. He just has to race and do what he can. It's likely that, you know, he, he needs to rely on Porcher having a really bad weekend. You know, if Porcher qualifies outside the top 10, has a bad qualifying, then, you know, then all of a sudden it's game on. Um, but it's just hard to see that happening to Teo Porcher, isn't it? But we've we've seen stranger things happen in Formula 2, like you say, Emily, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing, that all it takes is one bad qualifying session, Teo Porsche qualifying in P14, P15, for example, and it's game on again, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm just having a look at Teo Porsche's qualifying. I don't think he's qualified outside 
the top eight or nine all season long. So uh, it would uh, yeah be very unfortunate from his point of view to to qualify outside the top uh, the top ten, for example, and not have a run at the sprint race, for example, on on the Saturday. But let's wait and see. As we said, his twentieth podium in Formula Two this weekend, Terracorsia, which means only Luca Giotto and Nick De Vries have more podiums than him at this level. It's a phenomenal uh, record that he's uh, accumulated over three years in the category. As well, I did want to. There's something I wanted to discuss with you guys. I feel like this weekend has potentially put him in a really good position for a Formula One drive. In that, you know, going into the final round, if he has a 25 point advantage and it looks like he is going to win the title, surely that makes him a much more attractive proposition to put to put in the uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo uh, Formula One car next season. Whereas if the you know, going into the to the title finale with only a two point lead, for example, and you know you're not really sure whether you uh, he's going to win the title or not. Surely at this point, you know, Alfa Romeo Sauber are looking at that, thinking you know he's probably going to win the title, and therefore it becomes a much more it, it's, it's less of a risk to put the Formula Two champion, the likely Formula Two champion, in a Formula One car for next season compared to putting someone in a Formula One Formula One car who might not win the title. Sure, surely that's the case, Lawrence. No. Yeah, definitely, and it does it does make a, a better picture in the heads of those team bosses that your driver is the leader in the championship by twenty five points as opposed to it going neck and neck. I would have liked to have thought that you know at Sauber they would have appreciated you know what Porsche has been doing throughout this whole season, regardless. But you really do get this this clear idea when you look at some of the stats we've been talking about about his consistently consistency this season and yes it's his third season in formula two but he's he's so young still to have that maturity to be performing regularly to be holding back a little bit and not showing all the raw speed and all the aggression all the time that is you know those are qualities which are going to work very well for settling into formula one um and i think that they would do well to to make a space for Teo Porcher because he's such a talent and it would be a real shame to see him have to sit out on the sidelines. You know, if you could give a young talent like him a seat where you're not putting too much pressure on him, where he can learn and develop for a year or two um, in something like an Alfa Romeo, I think that would be that would be really brilliant for him. And then all of a sudden, you've got a guy that's still in his early 20s with several years of F1 experience already. And who's who knows what he might be able to go on and achieve in the sport from there. Agree, Emily. Um, we're not going to have the discussion again, are we? Of like we did with Felipe Drogovic last year. You know, third season doesn't count in his third season, really. Um, the kid's only twenty years old. He's come fifth, second, and now won the championship. It's it's different to Felipe Drogovic, who finished, um, you know, I think it was ninth in his first season, for example. Didn't finish in the top ten in his second season. Surely that's different circumstances and a different scenario to um, you know Felipe Drogovic, where people said, ah, oh, but he won it in his third season. Surely it's different, no? I think so. And I think also the the audience that we have in Formula 2 now, I mean, I'm only 21. So thinking about Teo is 20. And I mean, he only turned 20, what, last month? Thinking that he has that experience and he's able to handle himself like that. And you can see how much he's learned in the last three years. Com- myself comparing someone else that's a very similar age to me, I think to be able to mature that quickly and to keep all of like everything that he's learned and to keep putting it into practice and driving a car that is flipping fast, you know, like, and being able to even comprehend going into F1 at so such a young age 
and us sitting here now and saying yeah we think we have well I mean obviously we're not professionals but you know we're sat here thinking yeah we can see him in Formula One I think that really you know puts a whole new light on what it's like to be a racing driver and how it is being so young and I think people you know saying oh well he's in his third year like or shouldn't he be winning every week yes and no because you know you get people like Ollie Behrman that's a lot younger than him that come up and they're like you know so advanced already so I think the fact that he's had those three years to mature to understand the car more to understand how the weekend works to understand what he's got to do to grab points and be consistent and work with other team members and having people look down on him every single weekend to see how he's performing those three years are going to, you know, be vital to anyone that's joining Formula One. And unfortunately, you know, Logan Sargent is one name I could pick out, isn't performing amazingly well. But, you know, if he's been given an F1 seat, then why can't Teo Porcher be given the same opportunity? And obviously Felipe as well, he's done tests for Aston Martin. I think in the next, you know, year or so, we're going to be seeing more younger drivers come in. And yeah, I think he has a talent to potentially be in an F1 seat in, in a year or so. And if anyone's doubting, if anyone's watching this or listening to this and wondering, you know, but Teleport Chair is just getting to this level now that he's had three years in the championship, maybe he's not as talented as, you know, doesn't he have the raw talent of, of like an Ollie Behrman or someone that's coming through right now? Google Poor Chair 2017 Monaco, not 2017, rather, when he was 17 years old, just a couple of seasons Monaco. ago. 2021. Yeah. You know what I meant. As a 17-year-old round Monaco, the way he drove in the wet as well, I, th I think it was at one point during the weekend, you know, that takes a lot of talent to master the streets of Monaco at that age. Mm. Um, so, yeah, go, go, and, go and watch that weekend, 21, not 2017. Yeah, I mean, if you Google Terrible Share 2017, you'll uh, find pictures of Terrible Share. Maybe, maybe it's secondary school or something. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> he was probably yeah. talented back then as well, to be fair to him, but that's just not the year I was meaning. World-class go-karter. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, Lawrence, had to, had to. Um, his title rival, uh, Frederick Vesti, uh, a weekend of real contrast in emotions, wasn't it, for him? He won the sprint race, got off to a brilliant start to the weekend, uh, and then obviously didn't finish the feature race after being forced off, shall we say, by Roman Stanek on lap one. Uh, I initially went to write down an incident, but they didn't actually make any contact, did they? It was more avoiding action by Vesti, which led to the incident. What were your, what were your initial thoughts on that, Lawrence? What did you make of that? Um, the incident. Incident, which the wasn't an incident, really. The, but, the pushing yeah. off of. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's got to be at least, I've written down 80-20 Stanek's fault. Um, there's, you could look at it and think there's an opportunity for Vesti to back out of it, but he's, if you watch the onboard, he comes from so far back, um, and Stanek's battling through the Del Roger chicane, and then he exits so slowly that Vesti is already going for that gap as soon as they've exited. And the visibility isn't great with, with these cars, but you sense that Stanek's come out of the turn and he sort of senses Vesti there and he's gone to move across and he makes one move to the right and leaves a car's width and then he just moves a little bit further over by which point Vesti's already got his front wing alongside and then he's in the grass and it, it happens so quickly and he's got nowhere to go the rear tire hits the, the grass and uh yeah you're you you spun round and that's championship maybe over um it's so cruel how quickly it can happen um 
But yeah, I think the the blame has to lay, lay firmly at Stanek's fault there. I'm sure he didn't mean to do that. It's easily e- easy enough done. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely his fault and massive consequences for Fred Vesti. The throttle works both ways, though, Emily. No, in that he, uh, I know I completely appreciate the incident happened very quickly. And when you're in the car, it's a completely different situation to us um, armchair experts who are saying, oh, well, he could have pulled out of the move. But could, could he have, could he have foreseen that happening? Could he have foreseen Stanek shutting the door and therefore, you know, maybe getting off the accelerator and, um, yeah, uh, thinking mm-hmm. about the championship a little bit more? I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, we anyone that listens to this podcast regularly will, will hear that we're always kind of back and forth and about, oh, what could have happened and, you know, but it didn't happen. And like, and like you said, it happened so quickly. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong by saying this, but I think there might have been a little bit of hesitation from Vesti just before he decided to go for it. Because I feel, like you said, I feel like he saw that gap, like Lawrence said, but then literally as he went for it, Stanner could moved over like another inch or so and then that gap wasn't there anymore and like you said before you know it Vesti's gra- uh, wheels on the grass and he's spun round so I think from Vesti's point of view he probably didn't really want to be able to have to risk that because again like I was saying about Teo earlier they know what's on the line and they know that an incident like that and unfortunately Vesti's been in quite a few you know incidents like this in the last few rounds that have you know led Teo to getting on top of him but I think Vesti probably didn't want to have to come to terms of any incident like that at all. He just wanted to get past and get that move done. So, yeah, I think it was Stanek's fault. He did move out too far. Um, and to be honest, there was nowhere, nothing either of them could have done. You know, it was too late. There was nowhere Vesti could have gone to stop that from happening. It was too late for Roman to move back over again. And then, yeah, before you know it, unfortunately, Vesti's out of the race. So it is really unfortunate. And I felt really bad for him, you know, when they get out of the car and they sit there with their helmet in their hands, just contemplating what's just happened. It's a horrible thing to watch, but I'm going to be blunt. That's racing. Do you know, do you know what that reminded me of? I got I got flashbacks to Barcelona 2016, Rosberg and Hamilton, the yeah. sort of going for the gap just as someone moves to cover it off, losing traction on the grass. There are so many parallels with that incident. It's it's a re- it's a really tricky one, isn't it? In terms of in terms of laying the blame, I suppose if, to draw parallels between the two. I suppose Stanek's lucky that you know he didn't didn't come a cropper in that incident as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just thought that was that was an in, interesting sort of parallel between the between the two incidents there. Yeah, definitely, I agree with you. That came to my mind as well. The the Hamilton Rosberg incident, and uh, yeah, he got a feel for Fred Vesti, haven't you? It was um, you know particularly seeing him trackside with his head in his hands. Uh, our uh, regular guest on the show, Aaron Harper, uh, did say in our Inside F two Discord channel that it reminded him of. Mika Hakkinen all those years ago, back in the 90s, Aaron was probably there trackside watching. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, it did, though, didn't it? You felt for Frederick Vesti. You just wanted to, uh, yeah, go and give the poor guy a hug. Bless him. He, uh, yeah, really feel feel really bad for him. But uh, as you say, I mean, that is racing. Um, I want to talk about Ayumu Owasa as well. A spectacular drive from him in the feature race, P15 to P2. Uh, strategy worked in his favour, but he did the business, Lawrence, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. The strategy did work in his favour, but you still got to, you still got to drive the thing. And yeah, he he drove magnificently. And you know the, the he was in the press conference afterwards, and and he was asked, you know, what have, what do you need to do to to keep getting these results? Because he's had a few bad weekends. He said, well, it's just qualifying. 
we said, actually, in terms of pace, I think we've had the pace in the car every single weekend. Yeah, there's not a weekend where I felt weak. It's just I keep mucking up qualifying. Um, you know, he should never have put himself in the position where he was all the way down in 15th in the first place. But, you know, given that position, you try to make the alternative strategy work and he did it beautifully. So hats off to him. Yeah, a very outside chance of winning the title. He needs a perfect weekend in Abu Dhabi to, to win that. But they are the only three people mathematically that can win the Formula 2 Championship this year. Terry Porsche, Frederick Bestie and Ayumu Awasa. One of those guys is going to be our Formula 2 champion of 2023. 12 weeks to wait to find out who it's going to be. Um, a big incident in the feature race uh, that, yeah, um, you know, involving Zane Maloney and Roy Nassani uh, on the start finish straight. Maloney hitting the wall at uh, almost 335 kilometres an hour, almost, uh, yeah, over 200 miles an hour. Um, yeah, my first thoughts, Emily, were, you know, thank goodness that he's hit the wall on his side, the, the car, the side of the car, rather than head on, because if you'd hit the, the, the wall head on, that would have been horrendous, wouldn't that? Yeah, you're watching it on TV. And obviously, after the, the race restart from the safety car, you've got all of the cars hurtling down to turns one and two. You kind of don't really pay attention towards the back of the field. And I just saw all of this, you know, dirt kicked up and everything and knew immediately that something bad, really bad had happened. And you always get that, like, lump in your throat thinking, oh, God, like, I really wish that whatever I think has happened hasn't happened. Um, I felt the same last time in Zanvoort when we had both Camposes on top of each other but um yeah this was like you know thank god that this incident happened the way it did and not what it could have turned out to be because like you say hitting the wall front on at that speed I mean I don't even want to think about what could have possibly have happened to him you know he, he said that he bashed both of his knees together when he hit the wall and he, you could see when he got out that he clearly was not you know, 100%. And he said afterwards that he thought he was having a really, really, really good race. And then before he knows it, again, it's happened so quickly. He was just in the wall thinking, oh my God, what's just happened? So yeah, I'm very happy that he managed to walk away from that and that he was okay. But it's it's just not something that we want to see as spectators. And obviously the drivers really don't want stuff like that either when it's their championship. But yeah, like you said, I'm just glad that, that everyone was okay from that. Oh yeah, def definitely. Just so relieved that Maloney came out of that relatively unscathed because, you know, as you as you said, the speeds involved. That was a, that's a massive, massive incident, and you see, you could see afterwards the tire marks on the track where he's hit one wall, hit the other wall, and come back across to the uh, to the other side of the track again. And you just see the energy that's been slowly taken out of that incident. So thank goodness it was sort of a, a glancing blow initially with the side of the car, like you say, rather than one big impact where all of that energy is dissipated immediately and all of that G-force is put through the driver's body. Um, you know, that's, the, that, that's a really, really scary one when you're involving that kind of speed. When you're talking about a safety car restart, where there are lots of cars around that could hit you after you've crashed, which is something that we never want to see again in, in Formula Two. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't bear thinking about that kind of incident at all. Yeah, and there's uh, for those of you who have, have done it, ever bashed your knees together before, that is a horrendous pain. That is that is nasty. So uh, yeah, I really felt for Zane Malonius. Uh, not not a nice incident, but glad he's okay. Of course. Okay, let's take a look at the championship standings before we go. Then. 
Teo Porcher extends his lead over Frederick Vesti to 24 points heading into the final round of the season, making him the firm favourite to take the title next time out. Time recovery drive by Yumi Owasa means he has a mathematical shot of the title in Abu Dhabi. However, he'll need a perfect weekend uh, in the final round of the season to stand any chance of the prize. Feature race winner Oli Berman jumps back into the top six ahead of Enzo Fittipaldi. Dennis Halgart, Richard Vashore and Zane Maloney round out the top ten. And the team standings? ART still lead the way, 25 points the gap between them and Prima heading into the final round. Carlin, Downs and MP round out the top five. Virtuosi will be hoping they can finish in the top five still. They sit 15 points behind MP. VAR remain P7 um, on track for their highest finish in Formula 2. Campos, Trident and PHM round out the standings. There we have it then, one round to go before we crown our 2023 Formula 2 champion. My thanks to Lawrence, to Emily and for you guys at home for joining us on today's show. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you give it a like, subscribe to hear more Formula 2 content, particularly on our Spotify channel. So go and subscribe uh, over on our Spotify and get involved as well in the conversation in the comments below uh, on social media. Um, we love hearing your thoughts and opinions. But from me, Fraser Ford, and all of us here at Inside F2, we'll see you next time.